you got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 28. And uh, we, we worked through the first nine verses Wednesday night. If you didn't hear uh, the Wednesday night message, uh, go to Facebook and listen. Uh, I, I went back over some of the things that we had talked about last Sunday morning. Um, you know, we, we had gone through all of the details of that story of Jacob and Esau and Jacob deceiving Isaac, his father, in order to get the blessing. And one of the things that we really neglected was the main part of the story, and that was the importance of the blessing, a parent's blessing in the child's life. And so uh, Wednesday night, we, that's really what we talked about. And, and whether you're a parent and your kids are grown and out of the house, or maybe you're still actively raising them, uh, or maybe your grandparents and you still you have a, a voice in your grandchildren's life, you know the importance of blessing them um, verbally. And, uh, and pointing them really in order to propel them out into a future uh, that is, uh, is uh, to give them the best advantage they have. And uh, it's biblical to bless them. And so uh, go listen to that message. Uh, we're talking today, we're continuing this story about Jacob. This is his story here in Genesis 28. Uh, it's his testimony. And uh, Jacob may, you may can relate to Jacob. Jacob grew up in a Christian home. I know many of you probably grew up in a Christian home uh, where the Bible was spoken about, where you prayed over meals. Uh, Jacob probably could answer uh, many of the questions. He could beat you in Bible trivia. Jacob could beat you. Uh, he knew the Bible. Uh, he knew all the answers. But the sad thing is, for 40 years, he grew up in that home um, and, and he finally launches out on his own in chapter 28. And uh, what we find is that his faith that he had was a borrowed faith. It was, uh, it was one that he had borrowed from his parents. And, uh, and it wasn't until this chapter, this story, that Jacob's faith became his own faith. And, uh, and this is literally his testimony. Now, he knew everything about God up here. He just did not have a relationship with him. And so, uh, so, so we're going to walk through this. And uh, what we do know about Jacob is that Jacob was very greedy. Jacob was a guy that if there was a deal made, it all, he always ended up on top. Uh, he was selfish. He was always kind of trying to finagle um, his way uh, to be able to get what he wanted. Uh, he did that with the birthright of Esau. Um, and uh, Esau ends up selling his birthright, which was a double a portion of his inheritance, which was the family uh, business, which was uh, the family name. He would then become the patriarch after Isaac died. Um, and he sold it all for a bowl of soup. And, uh, and really the deal, the contract, it was all uh, orchestrated by Jacob. Jacob uh, uh, took advantage of his brother in that moment. Now Esau, you know, he, he was the one that was silly enough to do that. In fact, it said he despised his birthright. Uh, but then later, last Sunday, we looked at uh, and that, that Jacob stole his blessing. And uh, really, uh, really deceptive in how he did that. And so Jacob, if you were looking at him and you needed a word to describe the first 40 years of Jacob's life, you'd say you're selfish. He was greedy. Um, he, uh, he was, that was what he was known for. But you're going to see a different Jacob in this story. You're going to see a man that was changed by 
an encounter that he had with the living God. And so if you've got your Bible, we're going to start reading in verse 10 of chapter 28. So read there with me. We'll stop a little bit, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack it. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba. Beersheba was where he was living with Isaac and Rebekah, his parents, and his brother Esau. And he went toward uh, Haran. Haran's where his uncle Laban lives. That's his mother's brother. And uh, his... Uh, He's heading to his uncle Laban's house because uh, Rebecca, has, for fear of his life, said, listen, your brother Esau wants to kill you for what you've done. Go to my brother Laban and marry somebody in the family. You need to marry a good girl anyway, a girl uh, who believes and follows our God. Don't marry a Canaanite here uh, in Beersheba. Go to my father's house, my father Bethuel, my brother uh, Laban, and marry somebody from our family, someone who trusts, believes, and walks with our God. And, and so he takes off, and he leaves. He leaves Beersheba, his family, his home, everything that he's comfortable with. And he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place, and he put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached all the way to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give, you, uh, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And in verse 16, uh, Jacob wakes up. He, when he awoke from his sleep, he said... Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? This is, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel now I've shared this with you before um, anytime you see a word and the first three letters are bet um, bet always means house um, there was a little fishing community on the uh, the Sea of Galilee it's Bethsaida Bethsaida and it means the house of fish it was a fishing community there's a, a little town, a hamlet, just out, outside of Jerusalem, about 11 miles, um, where Joseph and Mary went. It was Bethlehem. It was where uh, uh, the book of Ruth is uh, uh, set in Bethlehem. And it was uh, it, there in uh, Bethlehem that uh, was called the house of bread. Now, that's important because... Uh, Jesus would come to be born in the house of bread. The bread of life was given birth to in the house of bread. So anytime you see bet, it's house. Um, so 
Bethel. Uh, it's Bet-El. It literally means the house of God. El, El Shaddai. We see uh, the, the word God in El, E-L. And so Bethel is the house of God. Now it was called Luz prior to that. It says that in this uh, same verse, verse 19. And he called the name of the, uh, that place Bethel, the house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Now Luz, you might write this down. Luz means separated. It means cast out. It means to be removed from. And so, um, so Luz was that place that was, was on the outskirts. It was, to, it was separated. Now think about this. Jacob had just been separated from his family. He had been removed. He'd been cast out to go and he sleeps there. The sun goes down probably on day two, maybe even day three of his journey and when the sun goes down, he decides to, to sleep right there in Luz. He was separated, and Luz was separated. And while he slept, he had a dream, and he literally, when he woke up, he said, this is the gate of heaven. I saw heaven right here. And so he named it Bethel, the house of God. Now watch this in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. He prayed, and he made this vow to the Lord. He said, if, if God will be with me and keep me, in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace where Esau won't kill me, then the Lord shall be my God. Now look, I'm not gonna have time to go through this later, so let me tell you about verse 20 and 21 real quick. Now, it comes across in English as a conditional statement, if-then statement. Those always set off conditional statements. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. It, my, my, what I will do is conditioned by what you would do. Now in the Hebrew, it's not a conditional statement. It's not, Jacob's not saying, God, if you'll provide for me, if you'll protect me and send me home, if you'll give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, then I will, uh, then you will be my God. Um, he's not saying that. He's not writing a contract, though he's good at contracts. He's not writing a contract to God saying, if you'll hold up this end, then I'll, I'll serve you. Literally, in the Hebrew, Jacob said in this vow, God, since you have done this, not if you, but since you will do this, he said, that's why I'm going to serve you. Because you're faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. And so it's a, it's a great vow and declaration of his faith in verse 20 and 21. And he wraps it up in verse 22, and it says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. That's odd that this stone that I set up as a pillar shall be God's house. Now, what Jacob didn't realize is that place, Bethel, Luz, where he was, was the very place his grandfather had brought his daddy. You remember the test that Abraham had where God said, Abraham, I need you to take your son, your only son, and I need you to go to the place that I tell you. Go to the place of Moriah, and you're going to offer up Isaac 
on the mountain that I tell you to. And Abraham left. Abraham was known for obedience. And he left and he took Isaac and they went to Moriah. Where is Moriah? Well, it's, it's a separated place. It's this place, Luz. It's Bethel. Why is it significant that Jacob, he set this stone up and he said, this is going to be a pillar and this is going to be the house. So Jacob had no idea that down the corridor of time, there would be a king in Israel that would identify that place. Now, he was from the city of David, the house of bread. Bethlehem was where David was from. But 11 miles outside of his hometown they would uh, recognize a place that the temple, the house of God would be built. And it would be built in Luz, at Bethel. It would be built on the mountain called Moriah. It would be sheared off. All of this is the exact same place. And so Jacob meets with God and he sets up a stone and he says, this is going to be the house of of God. How cool is that? Don't you love it when the Bible called makes sense and connects? It's like God turns the lights on, right? And all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. God, you've blessed me, and I'm going to recognize that everything I have is yours, and I will give you a tenth back. So let, let's unpack this, okay? Three things I want you to see. First of all, his story. Uh, we know a lot of Jacob's story, but let's, let's kind of maybe go a little bit deeper into family life. We know from uh, the last two Sundays that Jacob was mama's boy. Jacob was the one that Rebecca chose out of her and Esau, or him and Esau. Uh, uh, Isaac chose Esau. Rebecca chose Jacob. Now, we, we're finding some horrible parenting uh, examples in this story. Um, Isaac and uh, Rebecca uh, pick favorites, and it became very obvious. And, um, but, but what we notice from uh, Jacob and his mother's relationship is that he is 100 totally, 100% totally dependent upon his mom. Now, that's good when you're eight years old, but when you're 40, that's not so good. And every decision that Jacob made in the previous chapter, he made because his mom told him to. She said, hey, uh, you go and uh, uh, your, your brother is getting a blessing. You go and take the blessing from him. Uh, you, go, you go to your father and you, you deceive him. You dress up like Esau. You smell like, you know he's blind. And so everything mama told him to do, he went and did. Go and get two lambs. I'm going to prepare a meal. You're going to take it to your dad. And, and the whole plan was concocted by mom, but it was followed out by Jacob. She came up with it and Jacob said yes. Even to the fact that when dad blesses Jacob and gives him the eldest son's blessing, then uh, the eldest son, Esau, decides that he's, he will not be comforted until Jacob is dead. And when mom finds out about that, guess what else happens? She said, you got to get out of here. And you go to my brother's house. You go to Laban's house, your uncle. And uh, she, she, she then decides that it's because of your future. It's so that you can marry a, a wife that loves God. But really, she was calling the shots. She was making the decisions. And Jacob was just following. He was completely dependent upon mom for every decision. Now, where is Jacob? Jacob's all by himself. Jacob doesn't have mom there to tell him what to do. He's two to three days into a journey 
alone and he finds himself in a separated place, an, an, a far out place all by himself and it's getting dark. I guarantee you Jacob is scared. Jacob's not Esau. Jacob's not used to being outside. Jacob's a home body. Jacob's a softy. Jacob probably has never slept. Obviously, he's never slept outside because what did he pick for a pillow, right? I mean, this guy, I mean, he wants his mattress firm, right? I mean, he picks the rocks. He uh, grabs a pillow to lay his head on, and it's a stone. Uh, Mama has sheltered him. There was never a time that dad helped him uh, do things. He never learned how to change a tire on his own. This is a guy, he doesn't, he can bake a cake, but he cannot do outside stuff. And uh, mama has completely uh, made him dependent upon her. Now, now in this, we see some horrible examples of parenting. And so you, you, you may be here today and you're, you're, still, you're still actively parenting your kids. Now, uh, when, when your kids move out and they have a life of their own, a family of their own, um, parenting changes. You, you just get to uh, speak into them when they allow it or when, uh, when, when they, that, that, that opportunity arises. But it's, it's different than when you're actively parenting your children when they're in your home and they're, uh, and they're young. They're toddlers and they're uh, young children, adolescents, or even when they're teenagers, you get to actively parent them. You get to set boundaries and you get to make consequences for when those boundaries are broken and uh, you, you get to do that because why why because you're the parent and you're paying the bills right and so you get to make those decisions you're actively involved in parenting and so uh, Isaac and Rebecca have given us models of poor parenting and uh, I want to give you a couple of, of phrases some of you have probably heard of of some of these and uh, they're parenting models, I guess, and they're, they all are they're spun from the negative. Um, the, the first one is called helicopter parenting. You ever, you ever heard of helicopter parents? Helicopter parents are, are parents who kind of hover over their children. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're always there. They're, they're, uh, Rebecca's a helicopter mom right? Uh, she's that one. She's hovering over um, everything that uh, Jacob does. Uh, she's, she knows about it. In fact, she's not just knowing about it. She is steering it. Uh, she would be more, uh, not so much a helicopter mom, but she, she's kind of a, a lawnmower mom. You ever heard of a lawnmower parent? Now, a lawnmower parent, they, they mow the perfect path for their children. I mean, they, they get all the weeds out of the way, anything that, that, that may trip them up, uh, they, they mow the perfect path. They set the course for their children. They, they're the lawnmowers. I mean, you, you don't get off one way or the other. Mom has, or mom and dad have set the course for your life. And so there's this whole parenting style of lawnmower parenting. So you got helicopter parents, you got lawnmower parents. I would think Rebecca would probably fall into both of these categories. But then you have bulldozer parents. And you may not have heard of bulldozer parents. Bulldozer parents, they remove all the obstacles. Like a bulldozer would push away trees and push them over and get them out of the way or, or move large stones or, or, or large uh, uh, hills of dirt. They remove all of the obstacles. They literally plow through any obstacle. Well, uh, parents will do this sometimes in an attempt to uh, show their children how much they love them, uh, they don't want them to fail. Uh, they don't want them to, uh, to fall down. They don't want them to make a mistake. And so in an attempt to uh, 
provide for them, they remove all the obstacles for them. And, and in a hope to make them better, they actually make them weak um, because they don't learn from the mistakes or the blunders or the failures of their life. And so, um, so you, you, have, you have bulldozers. Rebecca would, would fall under this category too. There, there's a fourth category, and it's brand new. And I just read it this week. There's a school counselor, a lady, that wrote about jackhammer parents. <clears throat> yeah, anybody ever heard of jackhammer parents? Um, you can imagine what jackhammer uh, does, right? Um, a, a jackhammer attacks, right? So this is mama bear on crack is what a jackhammer parent is, all right? Uh, don't mess with the, my, my, my cubs, right? Mama bear is going to come out. And jackhammer parents attack any threat to their children. And uh, I just want to be honest with you, I, uh, I married an educator, and Halton has some jackhammer parents, all right? And, uh, and, and they, they attack. Uh, if they don't like what's going on in, uh, in their little baby's life, whether it's at the school, whether it's at the ball field, whether it's uh, in the community, whatever, mama, daddy, they go on the offensive. They were, they're going to attack. And do you know what? I can tell you, anytime I have been around a jackhammer, they are extremely loud. Have you ever heard one? I'm talking about loud. Anytime I've ever seen somebody working one, they've got ear protection on. Now, jackhammer parents, not only do they attack, normally they are loud. They holler. They throw fits. They get mad. Any attempt uh, to harm or what they feel like is harming a decision that's harming the welfare of their children, whether it's a, a, an organization like the school or the school system, they're going to attack. They're going to attack loudly. Uh, they're going to be destructive. They're going to destroy with their words. Uh, they're going to threaten. Uh, they're going to accuse. And oftentimes, they're going to belittle uh, verbally. They're destructive. Now watch what a jackhammer does. A jackhammer will remove the foundation, bedrock, concrete, anything. Jackhammers break up and remove foundation. Jackhammer parents will remove the foundation that ultimately their children will have to stand on. And they break apart that foundation. And then their attempt to protect, like mama bear, Literally what they do is they give their children an unstable foundation to build their life upon. Now, Rebecca, we don't see her losing her cool. We don't see her. But what we do see, we see the effects of a jackhammer in Jacob's life because mom has literally um, laid a foundation of sand in his life. She hasn't prepared him. She hasn't gotten him ready. And now he is a 40-year-old on his own. And the circumstances of his story... His poor decisions have him where he is. He's uncomfortable. He's in an unfamiliar place. He's in unfamiliar territory in his life. Now watch this. He's not where he wants to be. If you were to ask Jacob on this night when the sun went down in Luz and he pulled up a stone to lay his head on, if you were to have been there and say, hey, Jake, is this where you want to be in your life? Is this where you saw your life at 40? I guarantee you he would tell you this is not where he wants to be. But 
after that night of sleep, he was right where God needed him to be. Now, oftentimes in our life, that's where God finds us. That that's where God can speak to us. That's where God can uh, get through to us. It's not always where we want to be, but it's always where he needs us to be. It may be through the circumstances of life. It may be a difficult time in your life, a valley time in your life, a dark time in your life. You don't want to be there. Is this where? No, that's not where I want to be, but it's right where God wants you. He had to be out from under his mom. Now, this is, this is, a, this is so negative to say this, but God never would have gotten through to Jacob had he still remained in that house. Because mom was so in his ear, God could not break through. Isn't that something? That we as parents can be so involved in the ear of our child that they can't hear God speaking to them because our voice is so loud. You see, it's not where Jacob wanted to be, but it's where God needed him to be. Because God has a plan and a purpose for Jacob's life all the way back before he was born. Remember what God said when Rebecca said, what's going on inside of me? It's like these two babies are fighting with each other. And God said, it's two nations fighting inside of you. And the last phrase he said, the older one will serve the younger one. And so God had a plan for Jacob's life before he was ever born. And so God knew that he had to get Jacob away. God knew that he had to get Jacob's attention. God knew that he had a plan for Jacob's life. Now, watch this. In chapter uh, 28, verse 12, we see this dream. It's really a unique dream. Uh, God gives Jacob, he kind of pulls a curtain back and shows him a stairway. Um, and, and, And angels, angels are... Uh, ascending that stairway and descending. And so we see heaven um, and, and a realm. Jacob saw a realm that you and I don't see, a spirit realm but behind the curtain. He saw angels coming from heaven and going to heaven on this staircase. That, that this, was kind, this was the gate of God's house and, and God's messengers would come here to the earth to do work and they would go back to heaven up this staircase. God was showing Jacob some really interesting stuff. He pulled the curtain back. This dream interrupted Jacob's life, and and God used this to reveal himself to Jacob. Now, watch what he revealed. He's showing Jacob his plan of salvation. In this dream, God is revealing to Jacob his plan for saving Jacob and then ultimately all of humanity or or those who would receive him. So several chapters back in Babylon, the Babylonians had decided to build a tower. Y'all remember when we studied this was on Wednesday night? They built a tower. They were going to build the tower all the way where? To heaven. They wanted to reach heaven. Now, it is in us as humans, we think that it's our responsibility to reach heaven, to go up to heaven. The Babylonians were doing it with the Tower of Babel, and God destroyed the tower and uh, sent them away speaking all different languages so that they'd be confused to not be able to build it up. What God was saying is, is you don't come here, I'll go down there. 
So, so in this dream, God is revealing to Jacob his plan for saving his creation. He said, just like the Tower of Babel, humans were trying to get here. They're trying to get to heaven. But it's not about you coming here. It's about me coming there. In fact, religion is that. Religion does everything it can to please God, to build our way to heaven. It's this rung, it's this ladder that we feel like in religion we climb. I gotta read my Bible, that's another rung on the ladder. I have to come to church, it's church attendance, that's another rung on the ladder. I can give and reach another rung or, or I can be faithful or teach a Sunday school class. Sometimes we think serving in the church is just another rung in our religious ladder in our attempt or our approach to God to reach God so that one day we'll stand before him and he'll say, look at all of the wrongs that you've achieved in this life. You were faithful to give, you were faithful to the church, you served the church, you, you prayed, you read your Bible, you, you did all of the things that were right. I'm telling you, you have climbed the ladder well. But watch this, God is telling Jacob, it's not about you coming here, it's about me coming there. In fact, in John chapter 1, Jesus was speaking to Nathanael. In John chapter 1, the gospel of John, Jesus is finding his disciples and Philip and Nathanael in this story in John chapter 1 that Jesus is speaking to uh, them and specifically to Nathanael. And listen to what he says in John chapter 1 verse 51. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, Nathanael, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What did Jesus just say? He just quoted Genesis 28. He just revealed the story, the, the dream that God had sent Jacob. Those angels that were ascending and descending that stairway, that stairway was Jesus. That's what he just said in John 1.51. He said they will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's exactly what he said in John 14.6. He said, I am the way. I'm the way. You don't have to come up. I'm going to come down. That's why they told Mary, listen, you're going to have a son. It's God himself incarnate. God in the flesh is going to come into you and you're going to name him Emmanuel. Why? Because God came down to be with us. God showing Jacob salvation is not man going up. It's God coming down. So we see his story, we see his dream, and then ultimately his dream led to his conversion. And, um, and man, I'm going to be honest with you, Jacob's changed. This, when he woke up from this dream, he was a different man. Now, I can tell you, in my life, on that Wednesday night when um, I was saved, I walked into a room one way, and when I walked out, I was different. Um, I walked into that room lost, without any desire for God, and when I walked out of that room, I was saved, I was redeemed. I wasn't perfect, but I was redeemed, and I had, I had a different nature about me when I left that room. 
Jacob, when he woke up, things had changed. There's evidence of this change. Watch what he does. He sets up a stone of memorial. Look at it. It's, it's in verse 18. Jacob arose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put his head on, and he set it up as a pillar. What, what, what is this? Why is he doing this? He is making a public, physical declaration of what happened to him privately in his life the night before. He privately committed his life to following God and setting that stone up that he laid his head on, it stood as a memorial stone to say this is where it happened and everybody can walk by here and know that I, had, I gave my life to following God and gave my life to his authority right here. What is that for us? Baptism. That's our, that's our setting our stone. We, we, we privately devote our life to Christ. You can be saved and, and, and make that decision. And, and essentially, until people see the evidence of that, they won't know what is baptism. Baptism is our publicly displaying that private devotion that we have in our life. In fact, you, you can be saved and you can so fly under the radar that, that people, in, in, until you were baptized, they might say, I, I, I never knew. I never knew that he had followed or she had followed Christ. And what's so sad about baptism here in the West, the Western Hemisphere, is that it has just become a box we check. Now, if, if you and I were in the East, um, the Middle East, and you were raised in a Muslim family in the Middle East. You could pray to receive Christ. You could read your Bible and you could, uh, you could live a Christian life and everything would be fine. But when you decided to be baptized, you see, that's when your family disowns you. That that's when uh, your face is placed on a wanted poster. Because that's when your faith becomes serious when you publicly display your faith for everyone to see. When Jacob set that stone up, he was setting a memorial stone up, but he was saying to everyone, hey, listen, I had known about God up here, but now I follow him here. And, and, and God is everything in my life. And so baptism was that memorial stone. But look at the rest of verse 18, because I'm telling you what, this gets good right here. So he sets the stone up that he had laid his head on, and he poured, poured oil on top of it. So not only did he set it up, he set it apart from all the other stones. He took oil, which this is crazy because oil had not even been used yet as a sacrifice. That would come later in Moses when Moses would establish a sacrificial system. But any time that oil is used in a sacrifice, it always represents the Holy Spirit. And so, so Jacob has set a stone of memory up to say this is where it happened and then he poured oil on the top of that stone signifying that God came down on him in the person of the Holy Spirit and he covered his life like God's Spirit will anoint in the Old Testament. And so when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, God doesn't cover you, he fills you. 
God doesn't come on the outside. He comes on the inside. He indwells you never to leave you. He deposits in you the person of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your eternity. And and he comes to live inside of you. And we see it all in Genesis chapter 28. He is changed. He sets a stone. He sets it apart. We see the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? How do we know he changed? Because of the very last phrase in verse 22. And all that I and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. What is the one word that described Abraham? Obedience. Obedience. What's the one word that described the first 40 years of Jacob's life? Greed. And what is evidence that the greed is gone? He said, God, everything that you give me, I'm going to be generous with. Greed had just turned into generosity. And as an act of worshiping God to say, hey, I'm serious about this. God, you have changed me where I have to have everything. Now I realize everything that I have you've given me. And as a result or as an act of worship, I'm going to give back to you. And so, so here's his conversion right here. All right, great story. I got some questions. What about you? You know, it's possible for you to come to church Sunday after Sunday and know about God but never know him. Jacob was raised by Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob's grandpa was Abraham, obedient Abraham. Jacob had everything going for him in the area of faith. He had faithful people speaking into his life, modeling for him. Jacob lived four decades, and all he did was know about God, and he never knew him. You know, if it's possible for Jacob, it's possible for us. That we can hear stories and, and, and gain knowledge and understanding about who God is, but there be no evidence in our life of surrendering to that God. You know, there's a verse, I I quote it to you often because I I believe um, it speaks clearly that there must be evidence of Christ living in you to be saved. This one says, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. It, It means they've been... Uh, transform a metamorphosis has taken place there's been a time where they were going one way and they became in Christ and their life turned to go the other it is a picture of repentance if anyone is in Christ they're a new creature there's new desires in them listen what it says old the old desires the old nature has uh, passed away behold all things have become new and so literally what that passage is saying is that if if there's no evidence of a change in your life then Christ isn't in it 
There, there, there must be evidence of a new nature. There, there must be evidence of something has changed in you. I, I walked an aisle when I was six in the sixth grade. I didn't grow up in church. My parents didn't bring me to church. I had a friend of mine whose parents would come and get me and bring me to, to our church here. And, uh, and as a sixth grader, I sat back here in the back and I listened to Brother Prothrow preaching one Sunday morning. And uh, I looked down the row and they were all there. And uh, I don't know what I was feeling. I don't know why I did it, but I walked down the aisle and uh, put my hand in Brother Prothrow's hand. I prayed. He led me in a prayer. I prayed a prayer. Um, we, we had some deacons from our church come over to my house. My mom and dad were lost and uh, talked to them about baptism, and I got baptized. But I can tell you this from my own life. That moment in the sixth grade and I prayed that prayer, there was never a change in my life. Nothing. Nothing changed. Now, there was no desire that changed in me. I, I, I never read my Bible after that. I never had a desire to learn the things of God, to learn the Word of God. I never had a desire to pray. Um, never had a desire to be with God's people. In fact, I don't even know. To be honest with you, from my baptism, I have no memory of ever coming back to church. I have no memory of sitting in a pew during the 7th grade or 8th grade or ninth grade or any of those grades. I, I, I don't have any recollection of ever being in church, but I can tell you without any doubt that there was never any difference in me from the moment before I prayed that prayer to after I prayed that prayer. There was no change. And if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was not in Christ. My senior year of high school, that's the moment God changed me. That, that was the moment. It wasn't anything. I didn't climb the ladder. Um, God came down to live in me. God, God showed up in my life, and, uh, and, and that was the moment that I was changed. Now, now, I'll tell you what. I struggled with something that some of y'all are struggling with. I struggled with setting the stone up in my life. I struggled with uh, setting that memorial stone of baptism up in my life at 17. I said, well, I, I did that. I jumped through that hoop. I saw baptism as a hoop, a religious hoop. to jump. I jumped through that hoop when I was in the sixth grade. Done got wet in front of everybody. I don't need to do that again. And I, it, was, it wasn't until I was an adult where God just really started dealing with me um, that uh, I, I, I set that memorial stone up in my life. In fact, I, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but I was the pastor of this church. Um, when I set that stone up. Now, some of you are sitting in here this morning, and uh, maybe you have a story similar to mine. You've surrendered your life to Christ's authority, but you've never set the stone up. And for whatever reason, maybe you're embarrassed, you want to do it publicly, you, you don't like crowds, you don't want to get wet. Uh, for, for whatever, if Satan has convinced you uh, to not set the stone up, but I want you to know something. That stone is a stone of obedience. Baptism is a step of obedience in your life. And I want to encourage you, it is a huge step of obedience. So some of you have never surrendered to his authority. Some of you have, but you've never set the stone of baptism up in your life. Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, I want you today to make this day a Genesis 28 day. Where God steps down from heaven and shows up in a powerful way in your life. I want us to bow our heads together. Heads are bowed.
us and our pastors will be down here at the front and they would love an opportunity to walk um, you through whatever it is God's leading you to do. For, for some of you, it may be that you need to be saved today and uh, trust Christ as your Savior. Listen, I know that's, that's a difficult move to make. And uh, in fact, you, you may be in the back, uh, the balcony or in the middle of the pew, and to get here, it means that people will have to move, and that may be tough. But I want you to know something. It, it's, it's worth it. And so if God's drawing you this morning, in a few moments we're going to pray and our pastors will be here. Um, just whatever it is, just, just make the walk and be down here and talk to them. They, they want to help you surrender your life to Christ's authority. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you've made every excuse in your life not to set that memorial stone of baptism up in your life, listen, I know, I know what you're feeling right now. I know what you're thinking because I've been there. You're thinking, ah, he's not talking to me. Or you're going to think about making God a deal. I, I just, I'm telling you, the weight off of you that, that is removed off of you when you follow him in obedience and be baptized, it, it is, it's, it's amazing the weight that falls off. You've been dealing with it for long enough. It's time to just be obedient. So in a moment we stand together, you just come down here and, and visit with one of our pastors and uh, tell them, hey, I need to be biblically baptized. Maybe you were sprinkled as a, as a, as a child or an infant in another faith. Um, maybe you just need to be biblically baptized since you were saved, and you need to set that memorial stone up in your life. You know, it may, I believe this too. I, I believe there's folks here, and, and you've just been kind of teetering on, is this the place God wants us to be? Um, or, or, or should we stay where we are or, or we're not being faithful? Can we be faithful and be a part here? God's leading you to be a part of First Baptist Halton. You can come visit with some of our pastors. They'd love to help you uh, become a member here at First Baptist. Whatever it is God's leading you to do. Let me pray for us and we'll have our invitation. God, move in this place. Do what only you can do. And uh, God, I pray that you'd help us remove any excuse that we might have. God, we give you this time. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church.